Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. This is Joel Batonio of the Cleveland Browns, and this is the NFL Report. That's right, Joel. It is the NFL Report. James Palmer, Steve Weich with you. Steve, I'm fresh off a plane from a Cowboys home game in Charlotte against the Panthers. We have a stacked show for you. We'll break down that game from every angle because there's a lot to dissect on and off the field. We'll also have Mark Ross to talk with us about the Jets change at quarterback. They're going to Tim Boyle. Also, we'll talk with Mark about all the hot seats that are around the NFL after week 11 because there are several of them. We also got boots on the ground on a Monday. Bridget Condon was at that traumatic win for the Lions over the Bears. We also have Jeff Chidea. It's a Monday, so we're breaking down his first read column, Steve. But it is a Monday, which means what? Bigger news. Absolutely, JP. But before we get to the Week 11 bigger news, lots of bigger news in a lot of different fronts. My alma mater, the Howard Bison, finally won the MEAC Conference. Ooh. We're going to the Celebration Bowl, baby. It's about time. Go Bison. Love it. And on Tuesday is my grandson Jariah's first birthday, JP. And I know you also. Oh, a boy. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's the, the warming of my heart. But you got to be college week, too, because your Buckeyes got a big one coming up. I, I won't sleep all week, Steve. I will not sleep all week. Had a deep conversation with Tom Rinaldi. He's going to be covering the Buckeyes for that game on Fox. I am trying to get information from every angle so I can have some sort of sanity on Saturday. All right, but as we said, it is bigger news and this kicks off our bigger news segment. Snaps it back. Ball down. Hopkins in with kick is up. And the kick is good. And Dustin Hopkins puts the Browns ahead 13 to 10. What a moment. Welcome back, Jim Donovan, baby. They weren't going to make it easy on you. And that is the Cleveland Browns with their late drive win over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Dorian Thompson Robinson, the rookie quarterback, getting the dub, walking off the field in tears. So, JP, bigger news, the Browns win with DTR at the helm or the Broncos winning their four straight with a great rally to beat the Vikings. I'm going to tell you, Steve, bigger news, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. It is for several reasons. One, I will say this. We haven't seen Russell Wilson play a stretch like this in a Broncos uniform, but I've seen him have a lot of comebacks in his day. It is nothing new for Russell Wilson over the course of his career to have a late-game comeback. But what we did see is we saw a fifth-round pick a rookie quarterback in an AFC North battle against one of the better defenses in football against a Steelers team that has won nine consecutive one-score games, a franchise record, and knows heading into this game that this is a playoff team. They are fifth in the AFC right now. All he has to do is win games and not essentially, I'll say it, Steve, pee down his own leg. And what did we see Dorian Thompson-Robinson do? He thrived at the end of that game. And I'm not going to look at the minute 16 drive that they had 
He was brilliant at it, though. He was in control. Yep. He was in command. It's the same thing you heard Joel Batonio say at the top of the show. Welcome to the NFL Report. He said on our show that he was in command from the first snap on that Wednesday practice when he was named the starter. It is those closing seconds after with 20 seconds, they run Kareem Hunt up the middle with no timeouts right. that really stood up to me because DTR looks around. He even picks up Kareem Hunt, puts him in his place behind him at the quarterback spot, looks right, looks left, makes sure everybody's set, and spikes the football. To be in complete command in those seconds with no timeouts to spike the football and get that game-winning field goal, to me, he didn't play perfect, but right down the stretch when they needed him, he was calm, he was in control, and once again, this defense was great. I love what DTR went out and did, and he earned himself another start, even though they signed Joe Flacco to be the starting quarterback for the Browns. I know DTR is going to be their guy the rest of the way unless he gets hurt. And excuse the voice, JP. You have a little vocal issues here. But, I oh, mean, okay. the, like you said, the ice in the veins down the stretch, the fact that Kevin Stefanski had the faith in him to make some of the throw calls he made, and he nailed them when he had to against one of the mm -hmm. best defenses in the NFL. Let's not forget that. He was under duress. And the way he handled that to get them in position, this, of course, is bigger news because it endears trust. Trust his teammates in him, mm -hmm. him in his Great teammates, point. knowing, like you said, this is a playoff team. They're going to feel much more comfortable with him now than they would have in week two when he came in late against the Ravens. And to use your phraseology, peed down his leg. This time he didn't. He woofed, <laughs> gave the boot dog part, the dog pod woof. And then that scene afterwards where the TV cameras caught him squatting down and bawling. It was fantastic. Like, I did it. Like, we did this as a team. We're doing this together. That absolutely meant everything. Well, let's also not, not take away from what the Broncos did, JP. I'll go, go ahead. Do you have one more point on the Browns? Exactly. No, no, no. I wanted to jump in with these Broncos. I just, I'm excited to jump in with these Broncos, Steve, because you're right. We do need to talk about them because the reason I think the Browns are bigger news than the Broncos is because I don't think what the Broncos are doing is sustainable. What we saw in that oh. Browns win could be sustainable because if you look at what Denver has done during these three games, they have forced... 12 turnovers. I don't think that's sustainable for the rest of the season. I'll tell you why, because they've only had a three-game stretch with 12 turnovers. The last time that happened was 1997. And what's also happening is with all of these forced turnovers, they're not capitalizing on them. They had four turnovers they forced against Josh Allen a week ago. They were set up in Bill's territory four separate times. You know how many points they got? Six. Right. And then in this game, they forced three turnovers against the Vikings twice. One, a forced fumble. They start at the 30. They go six plays, 17 yards, field goal. Then they have an interception. They start at the they start the, Vi the Vikings nine. They go four plays, one yard, field goal. I don't think this style of play is continuing with the checkdowns that are happening, inability to push the football downfield. Yes, they are playing turnover-free football. Yes, Russ is playing better, and he's creaking creation plays. He's creating outside the pocket. That is happening, but at the same time, this style of play, I do not believe is sustainable for the rest of the season. What the Browns formula is, what we saw from DTR and that defense and a running game, that's a little more sustainable than the, than the Broncos. Yeah, if it's the same thing, I got to push back on it, JP. This is what we're seeing in the NFL this year. We're seeing defenses take the ball away. Okay. We're seeing low scoring games and we're seeing who can make the plays when they've got the final possession. And that's what Denver has done. It hasn't looked pretty. Right? They had, they had to hope no. for some mistakes. 12 men on the field against Buffalo on Monday night. Yeah. We can go. <laughs> True. Right? 
but it worked. That's I, I just I'm not gonna sit here and and squat on the Broncos right now because this is how we're seeing games play out in the NFL this year. Now let's transition because JP, you led the show off talking about the Cowboys home game in Charlotte yeah. that you got to cover against the Panthers. From the 25 play action, Young throws the ball. Intercepted at the 30-yard line. Coming down the left side is Bland. Catch at the five. He did it again. He did it again. Unbelievable what he has doing. I'm going to talk about more about Deron Bland, the Cowboys saved to had that pick six in just a second. But this kind of highlights the bigger news with the offensive coordinator development of last week. And that was the Carolina Panthers. Frank Reich, their head coach, taking play calling duties back from Thomas Brown after three games, their offensive coordinator, or the Buffalo Bills just absolutely coming off the top rope on the thumpless New York Jets after they fired their offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey. Bigger news, JP. I'm going to say the Panthers is bigger news because it's affecting not just Thomas Brown, and I'll get to him in a moment, and what happened to him in having play calling duties for just three games and then taken away from him and going back to head coach Frank Gregg, but it's also impacting everyone on that staff, which is an extremely awkward building to be in right now, from what I'm told, for players and for coaches. It also impacts the number one overall pick in Bryce Young and the ability to which he furthers his NFL career in this first season in terms of growth. It almost has the appearance being at that game, Steve, that he is regressing in a sense over the last three games. He's thrown more touchdown passes to the opposing team than he has his own team. And also what this does for an organizational standpoint from ownership and David Tepper all the way down. We have seen him have a a quick trigger finger in the past. What does this do for the future of Frank Reich and the rest of that coaching staff? I think this is bigger news because it's impacting so many different people and situations moving forward. From what I've been told, and we circle all this back to what is the future of a franchise, that quarterback position, you had your choice at all of them. And with Bryce Young, you give him four different offenses you somewhat work through, I'm told, during OTAs. Throughout the course of this early part of the season, they have changed or tweaked, I'm told, this offense. And all teams adjust things throughout the year, right? But they continue to try to tinker to make things easier on them, change play callers. I've been told he's handled it great. But this is a kid that went 46-6 and six in high school, went 23-4 and four in college, and is now 1-9 and nine in the NFL. He is looks beaten down in a sense, Steve. So this might be the bigger news because it impacts the Panthers on so many different levels. Yeah, when it comes to Bryce Young, that's not unique. I mean, usually the quarterback's the best player on his team. He's the first overall pick, and he goes to a bad team. But this is a terrible situation. And a little bit later on the show with Mark Ross, the former Giants and Eagles personnel man, we are going to talk about coaches who are on the green mile because Frank Reich might be on the back stretch of that. But the bigger news when it comes to the OC changes is the Buffalo Bills. And we don't know if Joe Brady, who took over his play caller from Ken Dorsey, did anything special, but the Buffalo Bills got a much-needed win over the slump-busting Jets. Yeah, they're the Jets. They're horrible, but the Bills needed this win because they were on the verge of potential dysfunction with Trey Diggs tweeting out his brother Stefan need to get out with the coach firing, all that stuff. They need to get the win because they are too talented to keep on playing on thin ice of getting to the playoffs. And, JP, we talked about your game 
against the Cowboys, beating the Carolina Panthers, you also caught up with their star, Micah Parsons, after his two-and-a-half sack performance. Mike, I know you disrupt the game in a variety of ways, but last week, there's kind of zeros in that stat sheet. What is a week leading in to the next game like for you? Because you come out here and you have three sacks. You know, it's just all about domination. Uh, last week, they did a great job. Took me out of my game a little bit, and uh, people just felt like I was slowing down, and I had to really put that nose to the side. You guys got a short week. Get ready for it. Oh, we ready. Let's get it. See you on Thanksgiving. That was the end of my day on the field in Charlotte, Steve. Let's go to the beginning of my day on the field because I had a wonderful conversation with Dan Quinn, the defensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys. And he really peeled back the curtain to me, Steve, about working with Micah Parsons and what it is like. I think in the NFL, when you have talented players, it's an advantage. But when you know how to properly coach talented players that are unique like Micah Parsons, I think your advantage is expedited tenfold. And what Micah Parsons has been able to do in terms of growing and being a chess piece for Dan Quinn, we've taught used that word a lot on this show, in terms of how he lets him attack from a variety of spots. Micah Parsons joked this offseason, Steve, he was going to play eight different positions for Dan Quinn. It's roughly like five, talking to DQ a little bit. But what is so interesting is that Quinn told me that he's contacted a lot of NBA coaches about Micah Parsons. Why? Well, it's mainly because Micah is versatile, can be a linebacker in one sense, can be a, actually any of the linebacker spots, be a DN, be a pass rusher. He wanted to talk to guys like Steve Kerr about what it's like coaching a player that maybe has to be a power forward or a center and then bring up the ball the next time down the court, whether that's within possessions or within different games. How do you deal with the mental aspect of preparing your players to be ready to fill all these different roles. I think the job that he is doing, Steve, coaching players like Micah Parsons that are so unique, deserves to be talked about. And I think his approach on it is making Micah Parsons even better and is one, one of the main reasons why he is in that conversation for Defensive Player of the Year each and every year. And he continues to grow within this defense. Yeah, look, you talk about those versatile players like Marquise Bell. You can Joe J. Ron Curse, the safety in there as well. Dan Quinn is a master at a chess piece, and listen to what I'm saying by not listening to it, by listening to what I'm not saying. In case Dan Quinn is going to be on the short list for a lot of head coaching jobs this year is auditioning. He did a pretty good job against those <clears throat> Carolina Panthers who may have an opening at the end of the season. Coming up, we're going to be joined by Bridget Condon, who saw Chicago Bears quarterback Justin Fields return but take the L to a feisty Lions team that approved to 8-2. Right back on the NFL Report. All right, back to the NFL Report. I'm Steve Weich with James Palmer. We're now joined by Bridget Condon, who got to see the Lions-Bears thriller this weekend. Ooh, but James, oh before, before we get to that game, whereas I was pounding my chest about my Howard Bison winning the MEAC and going to the <laughs> Celebration Bowl, Bridge, I got to oh, get your reaction. No, a, a tough loss by your alma mater, James Madison, this week. The this Dukes is brutal. You can't season. ask me. You can't ask me about the Dukes. I don't know. In the ten games where we were unbeaten, now you got to bring it up after I lost. Yes, yes, we were giving you no credit for the Dubs, but we got to we got to acknowledge the L. It's tough, but I mean, to have this level of success, advancing to FBS Division A, sing, uh, Division One, Single A. 
I mean, it's amazing. It's yep. the most beautiful school in Virginia. So I think they're going to have no problem recruiting. And Shots I'm fired. ready. Shots I'm ready fired. to take on uh, <laughs> these big dogs later on and give us a couple years. We'll be there. I love it. I love it. I love that campus okay. down there in beautiful Harrisonburg. But now let's get to the great game that you are at because the Detroit Lions, you know, we thought that they were just going to steamroll the Chicago Bears. They win on a final drive, Bridget. What about that great finish for the Lions to continue to establish themselves as one of the best teams in the NFL? Well, Steve and James, I want to break it down. I know you guys know how it works when you're covering games, but for all our listeners, I want to kind of take you behind the scenes of how it works. So around seven minutes left in the game, we make our way from the press box down to the field and we wait and we're going to get an interview with the winning team. So typically you send like your top three or four requests of players you'd like to talk to, to the PR staff of the team that's winning. You have a pretty good idea at that point of who's going to win. So of course we send our requests to the Bears PR and then we made our way from the the press box down to the tunnel there was still about four and a half minutes to go still at this point you know you're waiting for the bears to win this game and then everything kind of shifted but 56 minutes of this game you really felt like this bears team was going to come away with an incredible win against a gritty lions team but that grit is exactly what carried this lions team to me the most impressive thing i wrote it down here 40-24, that was the time of possession for the Bears. The Lions only had possession for 19 <laughs> minutes and 36 Whoa. seconds. That is crazy. And Jared Goff threw three interceptions. For him to come back and win this game down 12 points with four minutes to go and not be, you know, not lose confidence in himself, that to me is the most impressive. And you need to find ways to win games late in the season at all costs, no matter what happens. And for this Lions team to win a game like this, yes, of course they wish the first 56 minutes hadn't have turned out like this. This is impressive to me. And Steve, you mentioned it talking with me yesterday. These kind of wins are what's most important as you get deep into the season and in the playoffs. As we saw, Bridget, that video of Aiden Hutchinson kicking that football or punting that football, I know Patrick <laughs> Mahomes is the emergency punter for the Chiefs. I, I'm kind of curious <laughs> of who's the emergency punter there for uh, Dan Campbell and, and the Lions because I think he's just trying to maybe audition on the field at the end of the game, just blasting a football into the stands. And Bridget, listen, what, you, what you're saying is exactly right. To me, what stands out the most with this team, guys, over the second half of last year and now into the first half of this season is for maybe a decade plus, probably longer. We've always said, oh no, what, what is that play call? The, jo the, the Lions are going to lose this game. No, the Lions are going to lose this game. Now, four decades, James. Yeah, about four decades. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I'm just trying to be nice. I'm not that old, Steve. <laughs> and so now when you think about this Lions team, you go, oh, Ben Johnson, what a play call. They're going to win this game. They're going to win this game. Like That's the mentality now that you have watching a Lions game, and we've seen them now, Steve, win in a variety of ways. We've seen them win a shootout with Justin Herbert. We've seen them not bring their A game, like in this game against the Bears, and still find a way to win. They've won so many different ways, Bridget, showing their versatility, showing their versatility on both sides of the ball and within their offense, that it almost th those type of teams are more dangerous than teams that you know have to rely on one aspect of their play to be successful. Yeah, Bridget, I just want to get real quick, as quickly as you can. To me, the turning point, 30, 38 seconds left, the Lions have no timeouts, and they run the ball twice up the middle. Like, the clock management yeah. and the fearlessness that they had to run the ball, knowing that they could run out of time, uh, was just absolutely brilliant. What, what about, you know, that's when you had to run to the other side of the field to collect your other interview <laughs> about, about just going through that sequence. 
Yeah, but I mean, a perfect script, too. I think a little bit of that, Jameer Gibbs stopping at the one yard line, obviously getting tackled down there, was they wanted to give this to David Montgomery, right? That story, you couldn't write it better for this guy who's going against his former team. But that's just the trust that Dan Campbell has in this team to call plays like that and to have, of course, he's not, you know, Ben Johnson is the one in in charge there. But this whole team, that mentality of grit, and I'm just going to leave it there because that says... uh, you said quick, but we could go into this team and how tough they are for, for hours, Steve, and what they've been able to accomplish this season. Yeah, and quickly, Bridget, on the other side of the ball, Justin Fields came back from that thumb injury. You talked about the time of possession. This Bears offense looked absolutely functional. Yeah. We're hearing all this talk about mm-hmm. Justin Fields now has a seven-game evaluation to prove that he's going to be the guy, which is some of the dumbest stuff I've heard <laughs> since he's been their starter off and off for the past couple of years. <laughs> But what about the fact that he came in and he put his stake in the ground saying, if you move off, if you move off of me, someone else is going to get themselves a good quarterback. He said post-game, I'm going to be honest, we should have won that game. And they should have won that game. Justin Fields came back, and yeah, I think he had maybe one overthrown pass to Tyler Scott that he wishes he had back. But other than that, he played a great game. He rushed for more than 100 yards. He connected with DJ Moore. Keep in mm. mind, DJ Moore hadn't had a touchdown with Tyson Bajan in there. They were moving the ball down the field. It was, I believe, a third and, uh, what was it, a third and 13 or third and 15, and he Third and 14, and he took off for 29 yards. He was mobile. He was comfortable. He was confident. He was everything you want in a franchise quarterback. And I think it's it's completely unfair to say that this game was lost because of what Justin Fields did not do out there. I look at it, Steve, and I, and I see a player that came back after uh, Tyson Bainjit goes out there and, and plays quarterback, and he comes back from the dislocated thumb like, I, I never left, guys. This is This is my team. I think that's the way he carried himself. And I think that's the way I expected him to carry himself because the biggest part of this is we all heard the report from Ian Rappaport coming on our show on Sunday saying really that this is an audition for him the rest of the season Yeah, in terms of his future as the Bears quarterback. I don't really get that. But at the same time, if that's the case, who's really making that evaluation, Steve, is every other coach that has a ability to potentially be the next head coach for the Chicago Bears. Most likely... The person making the decision on Justin Fields' future in Chicago is not employed by the Chicago Bears right now because that's going to be the biggest part of the discussion that they have with whatever coach they potentially bring in this offseason. I think, Bridget, that's a big part of what we need to understand with this audition for Justin Fields. Also, just real quick, I want to talk about the healthiness of this Bears team, right? And talking to players this week before the game, they all told me, we believe in ourselves. We believe we can shock the world. They were looking around at all the players that they didn't have. This was the first game, guys, this entire season that all five starting offensive linemen were together. And to see the time that Justin Fields had and the way he was able to move, you have to wonder how much of that has impacted the way the season has gone and and how much that can benefit him in this team moving forward this season. Yeah, real quick, as we get out of here before I send it to you for the bump, JP, wouldn't that be interesting if the guy making this evaluation is the guy coaching against your alma mater this weekend could possibly come into Chicago to be coaching the quarterback (laughs) who played at your alma mater, Ohio State, I'm just saying. I'm just saying, take the bump. Get us out of here. Yeah, I, I'm glad it. you're just saying. It was too, it's I'm too not easy. Sure if, I'm not it sure too if that easy, coach is going to be coaching immediately week one in the NFL. I'm not sure the NFL is going to entirely allow that. There's a lot to play out, specifically on Saturday between See, the Buckeyes you and the there. Wolverines. Bridget, 
Appreciate it as always. Coming up on the <laughs> NFL Report, that man right there, Zach Wilson, is no longer the starting quarterback for the Jets. We'll break that down with Mark Ross about quarterback changes behind the curtain in the building. Also, some coach hot seats. We're going to break down everything with Mark Ross and the NFL Report coming up next. Welcome back into the NFL Report. James Palmer, Steve Weiss with you. We also are joined by Mark Ross with one of the best backgrounds in all of NFL Network <laughs> talent analysis. It's one of my favorite to look at, Mark. I love it. And, and we have a quarterback change with the New York Jets. I got a text from inside the building this morning. I just feel so bad for our defense, which is essentially an analysis of, I don't know where we go from here as an offense. I, I literally, that happened this morning. I, I don't, it's essentially telling us, I don't know where we go with our offense. They move on from, from Zach Wilson as of right now. Uh, we'll see. To Tim Boyle. Um, I want your take on the change, what goes on in the building when a change like this happens, and the other side of it, do you just tell Aaron Rodgers to get healthy and not rush back now that this is where you stand? Yeah, that's always been the hope, right? Aaron Rodgers, beginning of the year, the hope. Then it was this guy's going to miraculously recover from the Achilles. But, yeah, with the Zach Wilson situation, I mean, they just had to make a change for the sake of making change. And it's not as if Tim Boyle – we think is going to have some sort of Joshua Dobbs uh, magic in him to go save the season. Yeah. I mean, you're basically just going from the frying pan into the fire from Zach Wilson to Tim Boyle. So I think you're just going to see even more struggles from that offense and the defense will just have to fight through. You know, maybe there'll be some one game fooling, uh, misdirection sort of out game planning people, but uh, just the mental state of getting Zach Wilson out of there and putting somebody else in there for the team might just be a win. Uh, you know, that's the tough part when you're struggling, the team knows you're struggling, the fans are all upset, and even the front office is looking like, what's going on here? But, you know, Robert Salah, to his credit, he was loyal to the guy. He tried everything he could. And then Zach Wilson True. tripped over himself, and then he fell down in the sideline and took took uh, took Salah with him, kind of fitting there uh, <laughs> where that happened. So, yeah, this had to be done for the mentality of everybody. Mark, just 15 seconds, and I got another one for you, but the, the Jets have to draft a quarterback next year. I mean, we don't know Aaron Rodgers. If he comes back, it's a one-year deal. Zach Wilson, they, they clearly seem done with him. Is Joe Douglas the general manager? Is he the guy who should get the opportunity to do that because of the Zach Wilson scenario? Hey, look, I never want anybody to lose their job. I never want anybody to, you know, to, to have their place. But, yeah, he had his chance. I mean, that's a Zach Wilson thing. And if I'm an owner of the team, like, here was your chance. You had all these guys you could have chose from. Here was the direction of the team. This is the guy you chose. It was an epic failure. Why would I trust a guy to do that again? Uh, so, and, uh, you know, we've seen it, unfortunately, with the Jets over and over. Sam Darnold, yeah. Mark Sanchez, now Zach Wilson. I mean, this is just one after another. Uh, then Aaron Rodgers comes in, the savior gets hurt. So, feel bad for being a, the, a, a Jets fan right now. Yeah, so let's talk about transition in seasons now because we know some coaches, general managers are on the green mile, meaning in, in – in penitentiary, in penitentiary terms, you know, you know, that's not, it's not <laughs> yeah. going to end well. But it's, it's a situation where you've been there, right? You've been there with the Eagles. You've been there with the Giants. You've been in a building uh, where things are not going to end well. So let's go scenario: the Frank Reich scenario in Carolina gets a gets a top pick as a rookie quarterback. It's been a total disaster, and he's got an itchy fingered owner in David Tepper. I mean, kind of, kind of walk us through your experience on how this could play out. 
Yeah, so uh, Steve, as you mentioned, look, all changes are different. There's not one cut and dry scenario of these changes and why you do it. The first time I went through was 1998, Ray Rhodes, and we went through Bobby Hoying. He was a savior. Then we had, you know, he couldn't get it done. Rodney Pete, Boyd Detmer. The second time I went through was with Ben McIndoe with the Giants, and, you know, he lost the team even after the first year making the playoffs. It kind of got a little frazzled on him. The epic benching of Eli, which led to a lot of things. Specifically now with Frank Reich, when you look at it where they had the top pick, you trade up to get the top pick. We're talking about trusting Joe Douglas to make the choice again. Do we trust Frank Reich to develop Bryce Young? You know, do we trust what's going on this year? And when I look at the Panthers, you know, they just they're just not competitive. I mean, that's when you week in and week out, and Bryce Young looks like he's never played football before. And that's really what the most disheartening part about when you watch that team is there's just no glimmers of hope. There's nothing you're really hanging your hat on. They don't look prepared. They don't look competitive. To me, that's really the most glaring part of it is just how bad they look. And even coming into it, I thought they would look decent with, with Reich and, and Caldwell and Thomas Brown. I, think, I thought they put together a nice little group and it just all has sort of fallen apart. And to me, that's a signal of a lack of confidence in everything that's going on. And consistency is always a part of these things, right, Mark? You want to see if there's a consistent plan in place and that they stick with it. And that's kind of been the opposite in Carolina with how many changes that they have been through throughout this entire process. It's funny, in the earlier portion of the show, Steve and I are breaking down what's bigger news between Ken Dorsey getting fired and the Bills bouncing back the next week or Thomas Brown getting relieved of his play-calling duties as the offense coordinator in Carolina. It's kind of funny when you look at the early portion of Josh Allen's career, how patient that organization was with his development and how patient they were as a staff letting that grow. And this kind of seems a little bit different. Let's move on to a head coach in Brandon Staley that has been in place for some time and then had one of those press conferences we always kind of look back at this past Sunday. Elsie, roll this roll this clip real quick. I have full confidence, like I t- I've told you, and like I told you from the beginning, I have full confidence in our way of playing. Full confidence in myself as the play caller and the way that we teach and the way that we scheme, full confidence in that. We got to bring this group together and do it consistently, okay? And that's where it's at. So you can stop asking that question, okay? I'm going to be calling the defenses, okay? So we're clear. So you don't have to ask that again. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I just, I do really want that question asked the next week. I, I just gotcha. want somebody to have the stones to ask that question the next week. Um, Mark, this situation, and, and, and I, again, I don't want to talk about guys' jobs, but I look at the situation that the, that the Chargers are in. This is the one that we're talking about that has a franchise quarterback and has a young offensive mind in Kellen Moore there running the offense on that side. Would this be one of those situations where you give a young potential head coach a go if you're looking in that direction, maybe for a little audition possibly? Well, yeah, for sure. And we talk about consistency with Staley and uh, what have the charges shown consistently that they can't win games and finish out games. That's really been the issue there. And again, I talk about things that are glaring. When you start getting into it with, with reporters like yep. that, that's one of those end of the road yep. sort of situations like, oh, man, I'm getting tense. And you better handle the media, as you guys know, the right way uh, once you start doing that. Mm-hmm. That reminded me of a couple years ago. Uh, with Joe Judge and with New York, where all indications kind of were that they were going to get kept. And then all of a sudden, he just started having these meltdowns and these press conferences and started going at reporters and attacking yeah. reporters. And it just got, it just started spiraling downward on him. That was, that looks like to me, 
what that reminded me of. Now, see if he'll write the ship next week the way he talks about it. But that situation, about all these situations, everybody's going to try to get that job. You got yes. Justin Herbert there. You've got some oh, pieces. Yeah. Everybody's trying to get that one. So that's going to be different than other situations where, man, what do we really have here? Because everybody's going to coach, coach that team. And yeah, you know, if Kellen Moore give him an audition or not, but once the season is over, that thing's going to be a hot job. Yeah, they're not, you know, the Chargers don't fire coaches midseason. So Brandon Staley's going to be able to finish uh, out things here. And he, the guy's a good coach. He just, for whatever reason, has not been able to get through. Now, here's a different scenario. Ron Rivera in Washington, there was an ownership change. And almost always within a year or so, there is some type of change with the head coach. Ownership wants to get grounded. We know the resurrection job that they had to do as an organization in Washington. But Ron Rivera even came out on Monday morning and said he, he, doesn't, he hasn't met with ownership in a while. He doesn't know his future there. What about that scenario? Because I do think the expectation is that there will be change all the way through now that ownership has kind of made it to this point this season. Yeah, Steve, you talk about going through things. When people stop talking to you in the building, that's a bad sign. When, when the owner's in your office talking to you all the time, the GM, everything's good. When people are hiding behind those rooms and not talking to you, that's when like, uh, maybe I might get my resume ready. So I think with Ron Rivera and even all those coaches, personnel guys, GM there yeah. in Washington, I was down there for the network during training camp, where even then they knew the importance of winning because of the new ownership in there. They, we kind of had this, I had discussions there with some guys even then that, yes, we got to win. Like all this new owner, Dan Schneider's gone and all this new stuff we've got going on, but it boils down to winning. And that kind of, I think, added a, even more pressure to the situation of, okay, we're not going to have a little honeymoon year. Uh, this guy's coming in here. He's coming from, you know, different philosophy of, of doing things. He's looked at in a very positive light as an owner he's not going to kind of let that get, go downhill because of holding on to somebody that, number one, the fans don't like and that you don't see the results on the field. So I think for Ron Rivera and that whole staff, and people have to remember, Steve and James, it's not just the head coach. You keep hearing about the head coach, the head yeah. coach of all these teams and changes. Mm -hmm. This is entire coaching staff, staffs, yeah. personnel, grouping. You, don't, you never know who's going to be, you know, fall with all of this. So it's a lot of people that are at stake when you just hear one name but I think there in Washington, it's just time for a reset and new owners. That, that, that's just the right time for him putting his mark on what's going on there. Mark, Mark, I love that you said that because what I'm thinking about right now, and this is just kind of has come to me as we're having this discussion, is Eric Bieniemy comes in and gets his first chance to really be the guy as a play caller and run his own offense. Thomas Brown with the Carolina Panthers, had his first opportunity to really be the guy when things were handed over to him. And now you look at the situation that both of those offensive minds are in. What happens or what do you do when you're kind of in that spot where you're not the head guy, but also your future now after a very quick pull or a very quick experience may be over? Where, how do you reset? What do you do? Yeah, unfortunately, look, we could do a whole other segment on yeah, this. Yes, we sure could. Like, yeah, James, <laughs> we certainly could. I'm at the end now. Like, That's yeah, the point. Yeah, but That's you know, the going point. into it, I think Eric Bieniemy knew the stakes going into it, and like, I'm going to make it work. And really, even up to a couple weeks ago, you're like Sam Howell leading the league and passing, and you know all these positive things mm. about Sam Howell. Then they have those six turnovers yesterday. It's like, uh, get out, get all these people up out of here. He's not the guy. Eric Bieniemy can't coach anymore. So. 
that's again with the ownership or whoever, if there is a new head coach has to evaluate whether he's the guy, but despite everything Eric Bieniemy has gone through now, once again, it's, well, you know what? You got You got your chance. Now this is not really productive or exactly head coaching material. Yep. And, and that's just day by day, week by week, what Eric Bieniemy has to go through and, yeah, I wish we could talk about this some more, James and, and Steve, but well, yeah, it's really a no-win situation true. he got. I'm, I'm going to say No, we will. I'm, no, 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 I'm going to say we will. I'm going to say it. This is often a situation that black assistant coaches and the ones who get the chance to be coordinators find themselves in. They come into dubious situations, tend not to get the patience factor like you talked about with Buffalo, what they did there trying to develop the quarterback. They're out, and you don't hear about them again. I mean, what Frank Reich did to Thomas Brown by taking the play calling away from him in three games, Thomas is very, very aware he's probably not going to get an offensive coordinator opportunity again if, if you know, they get let go in Carolina. And, We're going to revisit. And Steve, that situation, that, that situation is being talked about outside of just Thomas. Oh Brown. yeah, like oh, that yeah. is a that is a conversation in other buildings right now. What happened there? Yeah, absolutely. We're, okay, okay. On that note. Stay tuned for another NFL report at a later date because we're going to circle back on this subject. Yeah. And, Mark, we oh, appreciate we all your experience. We are. We're doing it, Mark. As you've helped. Well, we come back real quick. I'll let you on fortune, Mark. I'll let you go because we are out of time. But coming up next on the NFL report, Jalen Ramsey's return to the Dolphins has been absolutely spectacular. And Jeff Chadia will join us on his first read segment to explain why the Dolphins should be thankful for that. Next on the NFL report. Welcome back into the NFL Report. This is my favorite Monday segment because it happens every Monday and we always get into it with Jeffrey Chadia and his first read segment. I'm always waiting like Monday morning. What is this? What is this piece going to be about, Jeff? And this one is completely different than all the other ones you've done. Yeah. This is 32 teams. What are they most thankful for? I'm not sure if I follow the correlation uh, about why you did this, but. <laughs> Nevertheless, Thanksgiving are thankful for. Hey, hey, hey Jeff, oh, okay, Jeff, I got it. Hold got up, it. hold up, Jeff. That's that. That's that Ohio State. That's an Ohio State rationale. Hey, they got to get some Michigan Ohio State stuff all through the, the show here. here. That's right. I can't Be believe we're so for those cordial. Off that. Jeff and I have a tremendous relationship. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. We'll get we'll get into it privately, Jeff. The one of them that jumped out at me right away was what the Jacksonville Jaguars are most thankful for. And that's running back Travis Etienne. Now, this is this is interesting to me because I think he's playing like one of the best running backs in football. Yep. They continue to use him in a variety of ways in the screen game. He's shown at times, specifically, I think of that Bills game in London where he's been a physical back at times that some people may be questioned. But to me, Jeff, it's like, hmm, you didn't take Trevor Lawrence as what they're most thankful for. Run me through your decision-making on, on, on this because I find it fascinating. Well, I'm not all in on Trevor Lawrence as a superstar quarterback yet. He'd be the easy pick because he's the big name of the first overall pick, but he still has some work to do to get up to that Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow level. He's kind of right where Justin Herbert is in terms of playmaking for me, but ATN has been a revelation you know, this year in the past. Remember when Urban Meyer thought he should be a receiver when he came into the league? And what you're seeing is a guy <laughs> who can run between the tackles. Wow. A guy who can be versatile and do different things. Yeah, he catch the ball, but he's on paper 1,600 yards. Yeah, well, well, he's on paper 1,600 total yards. And to me, he's the most dynamic weapon they have. I thought that would be Calvin Ridley this year, but it's turned out to be Travis ATM. Mm -hmm. And remember, he's coming off of a, of a foot injury. So, I mean, what he's doing is just absolutely yep. uh, fantastic. Jeff, I, I, I love this column. I mean, I think you really hit some great points. I do and, too. and one thing 
Um, the Giants, and this is an intriguing conversation, because you said they yeah. should be thankful for Daniel Jones and his four-year, $160 million contract. Explain that, because a lot of folks are going to be like, yeah, well, most people don't realize that 80 million bucks of that contract is guaranteed the first couple of years and you get past 2024 and it's they can walk away from this pretty easily. And so it's there is a situation now where they need to start thinking about their next quarterback. And it's clear that Daniel Jones, while he's been a guy who's been able to do some some solid work there and has certainly resurrected himself last year with Brian Dayball, he's not the long term answer. So I fully expect them to have a top five pick in this next in, in this upcoming draft. I expect them to look at quarterbacks, and I expect them to be gone in a couple of years. I mean, it's really a great setup for them because they can actually have him be a bridge like Alex Smith was in Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes and let another guy learn and develop mm -hmm. until he's ready to play. Well, Jeff, here's the other thing. We don't know if he's going to be able to play next year. I mean, he's, this neck injury has got some mystery yeah. behind it. So that's another aspect of it as to why they've got to go get a quarterback in the draft. Yeah, you know, it's a great point. And so there's a lot of things that lead you to believe that he's not going to be there. And I know, look, I don't want to put it all on Daniel Jones because the offensive line has been awful. They haven't gotten in weapons. But end of the day, we all know the quarterback takes the brunt of the responsibility right. and accountability when things aren't going well. So he's got he's to wear this one, unfortunately. Let's move on to another team where we always talk about their offense and what the Miami Dolphins do with all of these yeah. pieces and Mike McDaniel – but I think quietly, Vic Fangio is finding his ground with this defense. And we've talked about maybe guys like Bradley Chubb the second half of this year making a step and, and what they've been able to do. And then it's the return of Jalen Ramsey. That's who you say the Miami Dolphins should be most thankful for. And I think in this very small sample size since he returned from the injury, I think yeah. you're spot on in a sense. But it probably goes a little deeper than just what we've seen in terms of picks. Well, I feel like they would have been a better defense by now if he had played all year long. And when he had that knee surgery back yeah. and it started the season, it was what's going to happen to this team? This is defense. They brought in Fangio. Oh. They were expecting him to be a big part of the secondary. But I give him credit for the way he worked to get back, the way he rehabbed, and then the way he's come back. Like he was supposed to be an impact player. He's had three picks in three games. Obviously, a huge play there at the end of the Raiders game to seal that win. And to me, like people are sleeping on the Miami defense. They weren't great at the start. But when they get all their pieces back together and Jalen Phelps is rushing the pass and Bradley Chubb and these guys on the back end, they could be a lot more dangerous and stop the presses. They might start beating winning teams. <laughs> <laughs> they don't play many I more. Still, I think they there can. aren't many left. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. No, I know what you're waiting for, but it, the other part of it, the other part of it is Jeff, I mentioned Vic Fangio, and we we've seen when he has top tier corners and what he can do in terms of what he wants to do defensively. I'd like to see them have a couple of games where you where you mentioned beat good teams, where they, win a de where they win a game because of their defense. I mean, you look at that game against the Chiefs and what they were able to do against that Chiefs, Chiefs offense, you'd like to see them win a game because of this defense just to show that they're more complete. Well, I'll tell you what, and, and, and you, you really raise a good point here because look at where the AFC is trending right now with Joe Burrow being gone for the season. Yep. Deshaun Watson's gone for the season. Josh Allen's had turnover problems. Right. The Chiefs haven't been able to get their offense going at a high level. Having a defense like this, with Jalen Ramsey playing the way you're playing, we're going to see a lot more low-scoring games in the postseason, a lot more teams relying on their defense. And I feel like Vic Fangio, again, and Jalen Ramsey, just underrated what they've been able to do. They were brought there for a reason. They knew they could score points. They knew they could mm -hmm. you know, be high-flying with Tyreek Hill and 2-1 all those guys. But to win a championship – 
you got that happen on the other side of the football, and they are going, they're getting there in a hurry. And I love the fact that Vic Fangio is using him a lot on the outside. I mean, with L.A., he was mainly in the slot. He's being played out wide a lot. But, Jeff, you talked about great defenses, and a team that's figured that part out is the San Francisco 49ers. And you said they should be thankful for their depth, of course, which they added to by making the trade for Chase Young. Explain that part. Well, depth and, and health, really. I mean, because they, yeah. they, they're a team that – Look, I know they went through their three-game losing streak, and it was ugly to watch, and there were a lot of questions that popped up about Brock Purdy and Steve Wilkes and all these things, being on the sideline, being in the booth. They're the best team in football when they are right. And yep. so they've gotten key players mm-hmm. back into the fold with Debo, Trent Williams, Christian McCaffrey's gotten healthier, and then obviously Steve Wilkes has got that defense going again. But when you're able to go add guys like Chase Young to the mix – it's clear that John Lynch, the general manager, looks at this as this is a all-or-nothing type season. We've got a great opportunity here with a young, a young cheap quarterback to, to to work with here. Let's go all in and make this work. And then I, I love what I love where they're at right now because I can see them overtaking Philadelphia in the second half of the season and getting back to the top top seed in the playoffs. Ooh, they meet soon. I, I yeah. listen. I, I love I love the, I love this 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 style of format on this you know this week's column, Jeff. But we didn't have the the moving MVP portion at the bottom of the column that Steve and I absolutely love. Yeah. So my well, point with coming. that is, after yeah. his after his perfect quarterback yes. rating, oh boy, get it? Does Brock Purdy throw himself to the top of your list? Oh this is God. like what he had like a hundred and forty eight. There you go, JP. Last week he has one hundred and fifty eight. This week he's got four over one hundred and forty and seventeen starts. I think he he really hasn't, even in the three-game stretch, a couple of throws he'd like back. But as a whole, is he at the top of your MVP list? Just say it, Jeff. This, admit it, man. Uh, I, I, I felt for this trick last week with, with, uh, with Steve. They tried to get me to talk about his, his MVP. I'm not going for it again. But I will say that he's got some credentials that, that help in, in this category. I think it's going to be very interesting down the stretch because you're right. The big-name guys like Mahomes – Josh Allen, Joe Burrow's out of it now. They're not really doing all these big things right now. But, yeah, I think guys like Purdy should be in the discussion. I think C.J. Stroud should be in the discussion, Dak Prescott, Miles Garrett, T.J. Watt. I mean, a lot of big names, A.J. Brown as well, Tyreek Hill. But he'll be in there at the end because that team's going to have a really good record and he's going to have really good numbers. Wow. Even if it takes getting there by default, we're going to keep pushing Brock Purdy. <laughs> That's right. Number one in yards for attempt, right guys. Let's go. The Let's go. The there you go. Gonna hey, I'm going to let you guys wise. talk. I'm going to let you guys talk about the Michigan-Ohio State stuff during the break. But we have got okay. to head back okay. in our final break. We're going to talk a little Jordan Love. The Green Bay Packers quarterback went off this weekend. I'll show he leads up. our forgotten headlines. You guys can go chop it up about the Buckeyes and Wolverines later. All right, as you wrap up the NFL report, Steve White here with James Palmer. JP, you know, lost among the headlines of the Bills rallying back or DTR getting the Browns a victory over Pittsburgh. We've got a lot of things going in. We just had Jeff Tiddy on, and you know how I feel about Brock Purdy, and you feel about him as well. Feeling he had the perfect game yesterday. It was a 158.3 passer rating. I have no idea how that's figured out since he did have four or five incompletions. But is to me is his receiver Brandon Ayuk, five receptions, right for 156 yards in a touchdown, explosive plays, and JP, we have talked about it multiple times here on the NFL Report. No player 
has benefited more from Brock Purdy's emergence than Brandon Ayuk. We were calling his name week after week like we did until Brock Purdy took over. Ayuk now mm-hmm. is on the verge of his second consecutive 1,000-yard season. And even our own Steve Smith, a Pro Football Hall of Fame finalist the past two years, said Ayuk is a number one receiver. If he hits free agency, he is going to break the bank. And he showcased it yesterday with his record-setting 156-yard performance. Don't overlook that, even though we love Brock Purdy. 100%. And remember what else Steve said, because we got to keep giving him love because it was one of our best guests we've ever had. It was a tremendous segment. He said, I hope Debo Samuel doesn't get upset about this, but Brandon Ayuk is the best route runner on that team. Yeah. And, and that was his big stance on Brandon Ayuk. I'm going to go with Jordan Love. I love it. Because I had talked to some defensive coaches that have done some work on the Packers over their last couple of weeks, and a couple of guys said the same thing. He is ready to break out. He is on the verge of having that game. And he went out and he did it in a comeback win over the Chargers. He goes for 322 yards, two touchdowns. He spread the ball around, Steve. That was the part that stood out the most to me. But a lot of defensive minds were thinking very highly of Jordan Love recently and expected this game to happen soon. And now it happened. And I'm excited to see what happens moving forward with Jordan Love. Yeah, I mean, he throws it 40 times, 322 yards, two touchdowns. And I, I'm with you. I spoke to the people who said, yeah, they're not winning games, but it's not because of Jordan Love. You can see the tools are there. Now the Packers are just going to have mm-hmm. a decision as to how long they hang with him after the season because contractual, I think he's got one more year. JP, bring us home. Oh, I'll bring this home. I have to say, I had a wonderful time in Charlotte. It was a Cowboys home game, as I mentioned at the top of the show, but I realized that this Dallas team can win in a variety of ways. Dak Prescott, we've been talking about him as an MVP. Guess what? He didn't have to do a whole lot of heavy lifting. Neither did CeeDee Lamb. This Cowboys team is going to be fun to watch. Not great opponents. Now let's see what happens in the second half of their season. We're going to be back for a Thursday edition on Thanksgiving of NFL Report. Steve Weiss, James Palmer. Watch us everywhere.